welcome back to Dr. Me First. You know, when it rains, it pours, but I heard a good, or I saw a good quote on Instagram recently that said, all rainstorms in. <laughs> so I'm doing another podcast with shitty audio because if you didn't listen to the episode before this, my audio equipment got rained on in a May shower here in Indiana. But you know what? The show must go on. This is hashtag real life. The words are what are important, not always what they sound like. So I'm just so excited to bring a conversation that I've had with Dr. Kara Hartle. She's an ophthalmologist who has created such an innovative and new aspect to helping all of us in medicine. I'm so excited to bring her on here. And I'm hoping not only does it help you serve your patients better, but it helps you serve you better as well. So tune in and listen to our conversation today. podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. Give everybody a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what kind of doctoring you do, and then we'll jump into more about the magic you're putting into the world. Sure thing. So I'm a Southern California girl and hopscotch the country to phenomenal education, went to Harvard for undergrad, back to San Diego because in-state tuition in California is what it is. And then uh, off to Miami, Florida for this uh, phenomenal training program at Baskin Palmer Eye Institute. Nobody actually understands Baskin Palmer, but of the feathers, when people like pat me on my head as a cute little blonde girl and don't give me any credit, um, I say, oh yeah, well, I trained, I trained in Miami. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, you trained at that program. Yeah, thanks. So just because I'm blonde doesn't mean you can pat me on the head and disregard so as every like so many other women out there are like, yes, I know it's something that happens. So after training at the Ivoryist of the Ivory Towers in Miami, Florida, I did what, you know, logically any Southern California girl trained in Miami does, which is move to Fairbanks, Alaska and moved into a small town in Fairbanks, 400 miles from the nearest subspecialist and started a practice straight out of residency. It was one of the gutsier things I've ever done and honestly was absolutely brilliant. It defined what my career is going to be like. It was a mission-driven decision. Wanted to go raise the bar of medicine. Wanted to go do something a little bit special, a little bit different, a lot harder than expected, but it was amazing. So my goal was to raise the bar, to maintain that ivory tower concept of we should be practicing medicine like all the way. And doing it right every time and not cutting any quarters, not doing, you know, dot every I, cross every T, treat every patient like they're your family. That was my goal. And so I started with four little exam rooms, practicing comprehensive ophthalmology, grew it into a 30,000 square foot multi, multi-specialty medical center, you know, really just expanded to serve what the community needed. Did that actually, I paused for not, I want to say paused. But, you know, I had small children somewhere in there, built them up in a daycare center into my into my practice, um, you know, really had the life balance world for quite a while. And now they're teenagers and I don't need that daycare center. And now I actually sold my business about 18 months ago, moved down to Austin, Texas, so that I can scale Troy Medical. That's really where like my new passion is bringing the solution that I found to the rest of America. Because having practiced in small town America, 
where I understood for the first time, like truly understood what happens when you don't have access to specialty care and the impact and devastation that you see in your patients and you can't fix it because it's not your field and you don't know how to manage somebody's lupus. You don't know how to manage somebody's Takayasu's arteritis. They're type one diabetes with a hemoglobin A1C of 10. And I can't fix that. I could laser their eyes, but I can't fix their sugars. So what do you do when you don't have access to care? And I've found something that will truly revolutionize access to care in small towns, still practicing best quality medicine you can possibly practice essentially anywhere. I love it too. Yep. So now I'm, I, uh, I started that clinic up in Fairbanks, Alaska for my patients and it's going phenomenally. And so now I'm scaling it into the rest of the rest of the country. I love it. You know, it's, it's so great. I love when I find people in their middles. I mean, I love them at their beginnings too, and just the possibility, but it sounds like you've really taken that life experience, which you built in Alaska and, and let's just jump in and talk about it. Let's talk about Troy Medical. Tell me a little bit about where the name came from. So it was uh, December 2020 in the pits of misery that everybody experienced. Um, you know, that was a rough year. And I had a staff of typically mid 20 women who experienced profound isolation. And, you know, I'm trying to keep a business alive. I've got my own two kids who are quote unquote homeschooling, distance education, which exactly it was a disaster. If it, was all. Awful. it was awful. It was, a, it was a joke. You know, so you're trying to you're trying to do it all. And I'm trying to do it with a staff who's barely holding on. And I thought of this idea as I was thinking, how can we deliver something different? The concept of telemedicine and a fractional doctor came into my mind. The idea was we can bring fractional doctors. So I can't support a full-time rheumatologist in Fairbanks, Alaska. I, I can't support a full-time hepatologist, but I can bring them in for one day a week. And for one day a week or a half day a week, they can fix, they can treat all of the rheumatologic disease in my town of 100,000 or my draw of 100,000, my town of 40,000, draw of 100. But we can use a part-time doctor brought into our clinic with all of the infrastructure that we have, all of the answers. I know where to go for infusions, radiology, labs. I have the medical staff to walk them through all the technology. I have all the infrastructure of medicine, but I just don't have the rheumatologist because they're not going to live in Fairbanks, Alaska. So I can bring them in via telehealth, just like they would normally harness all of the, the medical expertise that we have here. You know, if they can't do a physical exam of the hand, get an MRI of the hand. Oh, great. We can harness technology. If as, a, as an endocrinologist, you can't palpate the thyroid, get a thyroid ultrasound. So we can use the imaging techniques that we have and the technology that we have to provide the physical exam. Telehealth has been has been validated as a modality that works, but we need so much more than just the doctor on a screen. So how do we provide all of the infrastructure of medicine that is medical practice with the tech, with the, you know, the extreme expertise of the subspecialist that can live anywhere? That was the idea. So I brought it to my staff. They looked at me as a lady, you're kidding me. I don't have any bandwidth to do anything. Oh my gosh, please don't do this project right now. We can barely hold on. So about a month later, one of my most beloved patients who has given me permission to tell his story was just, he's been battling psoriatic arthritis on chronic steroids. He has, you know, awful ocular disease, bad diabetes out of control, neuropathy is like 
I mean, this is a man who used to run his family office, incredibly successful, who could barely walk across my exam room. He gets into my room. His eyes are a disaster. His body is falling apart. He lost his rheumatologist because she had a baby and left the state 400 miles away from us. His primary care doctor, who's been trying to manage his Remicade infusions, just retired. He has no endocrinologist. The neurologist won't see the one neurologist we have has closed the practice. This guy literally is disintegrating in front of me, and I've been taking care of him for a decade. I walked out of his office like in tears, and my clinical manager looks at me and she says, we're starting the company, aren't we? Like, yeah, we're starting the company. So we can't not start the company. I now have a person that I'm looking at that I know the solution for. And to not start that company means because I'm unwilling to work harder, he's going to suffer. And that's something I just couldn't stomach, just couldn't do it. So my staff, they saw it, they understood, they know why. And so we sat around the clinic one day and we said, well, you guys, we need a name for this project. And my office manager says, well, why do we name it after him? And so Troy Medical was born. I love it. You know, because there is a story behind everything that we have a purpose for if it's really heart driven. And so my doctor brain is sitting here going, this sounds amazing as a rural family medicine, addiction medicine doctor in Southern Indiana. Tell me the nuts and bolts though. Like how do you get, how do you get that specialty care to me and to my people? So here's what's different about Troy Medical from other quote unquote telehealth programs. And there's a ton of them. Don't get me wrong. Telehealth is, is, you know, everybody knows it's gone, it's gone exponential. So the most important section is what is best practice medicine? So that's where we start. Best practice medicine is a specialist as specialized as you can possibly get in that disease state, knowing you and owning that patient on a long-term basis, delivering care locally with all of the resources we possibly can have, and someone who helps that patient navigate this ridiculously complex medical system that is what we practice in. That is best practice medicine, right? I mean, basically everybody agrees. Yes. Like if I know if like, you know, if this is your patient and you have been taking care of them for five years, you know, the ins and outs of their disease, you know, how they respond to medications, when they get exacerbations, what things look like, you understand who they are. You can treat the whole person, blah, 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 blah. That is best practice medicine. How can we deliver best practice medicine in smaller town America? Well, here's how. We have a micro clinic on the ground. That clinic is just like you have in your normal clinic, except you know we have one MA and then the rest of the infrastructure of the medical clinic is virtual. So our footprint is tiny. That keeps our overhead reasonable. We have an MA who works long-term for this in this clinic. Like they're, it's not like a rotating you know, this is, this person owns this clinic and that's a crucial part of that. So the MA is able to help the patient navigate all of the technology because medicine is, especially telehealth is very tech heavy. And that's where a lot of things break down. So we get them in the EMR, they're the person on the ground to take their vital signs, to be the hands on the ground if needed, to be the person who, when they walk out of the exam room, they said, do you have any questions? Like, I don't know what the doctor just said, but I didn't want to admit to them. So we all have those patients. Like, you know, the doctor, you spend 20 minutes explaining in gruesome detail exactly what they need to do. And the patient nods, smiles. Do you have any questions? No, no, that's great. And then they walk out going, I don't know what to do. And so we have the person on the ground to be able to answer those questions, to be that point of contact, the, the physical person, the voice, the like, the person that they can see to be there 
you know, the hands on the ground, that like physical contact that is so important in medicine. So we have that person on the ground, that person who also knows where do you go for labs, for radiology, for fusions, who's the good surgeon in town, where do I go for endoscopy? All the things that are that are available locally that the person, you know, that we have to be able to know how to do that. So that person is really the footprint of tri-medical in that community. And then the doctors that have all the medical expertise are able to come in remotely. They can live anywhere because they, they know the answers to, okay, I know what this disease state is. Here's how we treat this. And here's the medication. Here's the labs we order. They have all that medical knowledge. They provide that on a long-term basis. So they say, I'm going to give you a day a week. And I'll be the same doctor every single time seeing this patient every single week, you know, whatever that patient needs, you know, you see for the intake, and then I'll see you in two weeks for follow-ups on this, and then a month and follow-up on that. But it's the same exact doctor every single time. So that doctor is making a long-term commitment to this community. And then, of course, we have all the back office to navigate the, you know, the insurance and the authorizations and blah, 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 all the junk that is medicine. So the model has a three crucial three points. It starts with a microclinic on the ground to help walk through all of that stuff. And then the specialist committed to that community on a long-term basis. This is best practice medicine. So this is how we provide what's what no other company is able to do. And I don't see anybody else using this model, but this is really the long-term solution is bringing the doctor into the local community. Where are you at with implementation, excuse me, you're in Houston, so where, do you have micro practices out now and operating? So we have, so we started in Fairbanks and we started, we really actually only started a year ago and we did a very soft launch because a lot of the, we had to figure out how do you build Medicare? How do you build Blue Cross? You know, what's the best way to get this service out to the local primary care doctors, the relationships with the hospital, like how do we set all of those things up? So it, it, we we did a soft start. So we we wouldn't say, hey, we have five specialists, you know, and not then not be able to deliver. So I knew there was because it's a new, it's a new concept, it's a novel model, I knew there were going to be some hurdles and some bumps. And so we did a bit of a soft start. Selfishly, I started with the specialties that overlapped with ophthalmology because I, you know, sensibly did this for my patients. So we started with uh, endocrinology, neurology, and rheumatology, because there's an enormous amount of overlap in eye disease. So we started with those fields. And um, over the you know the next, first six months, um, we were seeing you know a few patients a day to now seeing you know basically full for all all three fields. And so now we've actually expanded into gastroenterology, hepatology, and dermatology. And basically looking around the community, where is there more than a 12-month wait list to get into the doctor who's 400 miles away? And right now, like it's it's low-hanging fruit across the board because there's so many fields that we could pick. So now that that practice in Alaska is running, you know, exceptionally functionally, it's profitable. We're we're being able, we're you know, we're covering our nut, we're growing our field, we're making a huge impact in the community, just enormous impact. And now I personally have moved to Austin, Texas, because the other the other state that is the lowest hanging fruit happens to be Texas. The rural community hospitals are just getting slashed in Texas. They've had 26 of them closed in the past decade. I mean, it's just brutal here what the, the local communities are trying to navigate. So this, again, was low hanging fruit. So our first rural clinic in Texas launched last month. And we're, we're now at these. The model has been validated. The model is functioning. Um, and now we're just scaling it. 
So we're at the point now where we're we're launching, we're making it happen. Our first our first Texas clinic opened, like just opened, and we're making it all happen. As your colleague in medicine, how can me and the podcast audience help and support you? So honestly, one of the biggest things we have right now is we we are now at the point where we did a needs analysis and it was, I mean, even just talking to you earlier, like the needs analysis is where can we go next? And the answer was, oh my gosh, everywhere. And the number of you were saying, can you bring a neurologist and a rheumatologist, please? Because I'm dying here. And yes, we can bring rheumatologists and neurologists. What we need is people, someone on the ground who wants to help make this happen, preferably you know, knowing the resources, you know, whether it's through the community hospital or a community clinic program, we need basically a, a less than a thousand square, square foot imprint, two little exam rooms that really don't have to have virtually anything in them and an MA, like that is our overhead. The biggest thing is finding someone who can disseminate the information to the local community, um, have the primary care doctors so that when we get there, we have you know, we have a, a backlog of patients so that we can fill these doctors. Finding the doctors actually hasn't proven to be difficult at all. You know, as we talked about before, you know, there's a lot of, of fabulous flexibility in, in doing telehealth, especially when you're practicing really good medicine. A lot of people who've been doing telehealth recently, they're frustrated because you're pinch hitting in a disease state that like, you don't want to be an endocrinologist, like, Yep, here's your foreman refill. By the way, hemoglobin A1C of nine, it's not a good answer, even if you feel great. Like you really need to have long-term management. Like how would you, I mean, as a doctor, we don't want to pinch hit practicing kind of semi-garbage medicine. In your local community, you really need someone who's going to help navigate the technology for the patient and then all of the other stuff that goes in. Like you don't want to spend an hour calling in their labs, you know, talking to the pharmacy for refills, like where's the infrastructure of medicine to help you be the fulcrum, which is I know the answer and I know what to do. So here's, let me tell you what to do and then have the infrastructure of medicine to be able to implement your plan. This is what doctors want to do. And we should be the rate limiting step, especially in subspecialty medical care, because we desperately need this all over the place. So how can we create a model? And the answer is doctors want to go practice fantastic medicine. It is so much fun to practice medicine in an area where they desperately need you because someone comes in and they say, oh, I've been hurting like this. You're like, oh, well, that's rheumatoid arthritis, not osteoarthritis. So Advil really isn't the right answer. Really, you need to be on Remicade or, you know, like pick a, pick a biologic. Like, you know what this answer is. And when you can go in and like, Two months later, someone's like, oh my gosh, doc, I feel I've never felt this good. I can't believe it. Thank you so much. It's fun to be able to do that. So the doctors in our practice are loving the practice because they get to go do that every single day. And the patients are so grateful for the help because they've been hurting for so long and you just fixed them because you knew what the answer was. So, you know, it's also, we're able to find a lot of originally, like the the main demographic of doctors that we're finding is moms who want to be able to practice during the time their kids are at school. So then we can manage our life balance and doctors kind of towards the end of their career where they're, or not so much end of their career, they're just sick and tired of the, you know, daily grind of medicine. And, you know, they want to have something that's a little bit you know, a breath of fresh air. Um, they have more flexibility. They're treating disease differently than they've been doing for a while. And that job satisfaction. 
So we have a lot of people who are kind of stepping back from their their you know long-term practice and doing something a little bit differently. I love the term that you use too, the fractional doctor. Mm-hmm. Where you could be like in Texas on Monday and then you'll be in West Virginia on Tuesday and you know, taking care of populations that you would have otherwise not been able to care for, I think is awesome. And it's so rewarding. Like I said, when 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 you're practicing real medicine with real disease and patients who haven't had it, it is so much fun to raise the bar. Yeah, absolutely. So for our folks sitting out in the audience like myself, where do we need to go to contact you and check this out more? So you can see our website, www.troymed.com. You can also reach out to me personally. I have a personal website, drkarahardle.com. And um, honestly, if anybody, I mean, we're, we're looking to scale right now. So we're looking to expand. Uh, we're growing. We're growing actually at, at about a thousand percent right now. Uh, over last year, which is fantastic, uh, we're we're hiring like crazy right now because because there's locations that need this, and you know we're looking to bring we're looking to raise the bar of medicine. And if someone has a community that desperately needs this kind of solution, we're ready to go. Well, Dr. Kara, I love it so much. Thank you for reaching out to me so we can spread your resource all over the place, and so that we can just fucking make medicine better. Exactly. Exactly. Because Lord knows it needs it. Hey, friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends, slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, (laughs) the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. You're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails. But you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make this the year of slacking. All right, friend, remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. Sure.